true love starts from within. My debit card. I've got four kids, two degrees, and one kick-ass life. Ah, you guys. It's Andy's Girls. You know what? I have to say, it's a special recording because I really appreciate when my guest co-host is here in person in the cloth. I mean, there's nothing like a clothist kiki. So welcome to Andy's Girls, a new guest co-host, her first time on Andy's Girls, hopefully not her last. Would love it. I'm doing a little like friendship contract with my eyes right now. We're doing a little, you know, you're a lawyer. So this is a this is a verbal binding agreement okay. that you're going to come back now every week. Right. Um, listen, I have to introduce her because we need to talk about a little book that I read last night. You know her as a star of the Bravo hit TV show, The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Before joining the show in 2018, she was an attorney and freelance journalist. Her writing has appeared in Good Housekeeping, HuffPo, Scary Mommy, among others. And The Weight of Beautiful is her debut book length Look, welcome writer girl from RHONJ, Jackie Goldschneider. Jackie, how are we? We are doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here among all your pretty dresses and fancy shoes. I mean, you know what? I am an art collector. I really do believe um, life gives you just but one opportunity to not have a savings account. And I have invested that (laughs) accordingly. So I'm so thankful that you made the schlep. How are you? How are you feeling? So much happening with your book release release like literally it's turtle time yes is it when is it when is it actually being released it is one week from tomorrow but when does this air later this week so within seven days okay and you know what else happens within those seven days (gasps) what my kids are having a bar mitzvah yes so it is like busy busy and i'm filming a show (gasps) so it's like really busy and I'm so grateful for all of it. It's like September is just wild. So wait, okay, we need to break this down because we're two <laughs> Jews just shooting the shit on the Upper East yeah. Side. So you have twi- you have two sets of twins. I have twins whose birthday was two days ago. Oh, it was September 16th, which was Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah so oh, they could oh not God. have their bar mitzvah that How day. How rude of our religion. Uh, can you believe the it? The Google timing. Cal I mean, <laughs> of They should have timed that ancient calendar. For real. To my schedule. Amen. Um, but so we're having it next Saturday. Yep. And then we've got uh, three days and my, my my other baby comes out. Wow. Okay. So break it down for me because I am reform, also known as um, JV. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. God bless. Yeah. Amazing. Um, shalom to everyone. Um, when you have twins, I immediately think of the work, like the homework. So if you are a twin, are they having um, the B'nai Mitzvah, same day, like literally same service? They're having the same service, same day, B'nai Mitzvah. We don't do Hebrew school. We've done lessons, private oh. lessons. And we don't do a typical bar mitzvah either. We do um, family only because I strongly feel mm. like nobody really wants to sit at your kid's ceremony. Amen. So we don't subject anyone to that. And we have just family. And we have a big, beautiful ceremony and then a big, beautiful luncheon with just family. And then the kids each have a birthday party that's like bar mitzvah size. Well, not like crazy bar mitzvah size, but. And is yeah. it going to be that night? Is it just no, a total no, no, they day already had, major? They already had. 
Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. so we're like actually really maintaining the cultural versus mine, yes. which was more about the like sparkly ring on the hand, you know, like all the toys that you got and the DJ throwing shit yeah, into the I crowd mean, of screaming my daughter, children. Actually, my daughter's didn't happen yet because she didn't feel good this weekend. So she, hers mm. got postponed, but my son had his. Um, but yeah, there'll be some like... There'll be some festivities, but not like the typical size bar mitzvah, which is great for some people. For me, that's like driving a Lamborghini off a bridge. Oh you know, God. it's it's really expensive and then it's just over, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we got a bar mitzvah and then a book all in the same week. Wait, but in my mom, nothing gave her more joy than planning my bat mitzvah because it was her day. Oh, it's the special yes. day for the Jewish mother of whichever child and or children yeah, are being you know, blessed um, by the Torah above. I don't know if I'm in the minority on that, but I get no enjoyment out of planning parties. Really? So, yeah. Have you seen me plan a party on the show? They're bad. I mean, well, this is like the economics, though, of planning a party on Housewives. I think I'm too cheap to do it. I would have to have something in the contract of like, y'all need to give me some kind of fucking budget because I know how to waste money well. And I'm not going to do it for women that are just going to show up to yell. Well, I just had that driveway party with pizza and I got- Which I loved. Yeah, I loved it too. But, you know, not everyone loved that. So how did that work as an introduction to Housewives? Because you came to this world as yourself a- grown sort of like essentially complete human person you have your life you have your journey you're not you know it's not like the real housewives of I don't even know what 17 year olds you know what I'm saying like you're a grown adult you have a family um so when it came to joining the show and being introduced to the sort of spectacle of living a life on housewives how did you find that kind of adjustment i mean the pizza party was a thing people were looking in the cast were looking for the excess that feels somewhat abnormal you know um staying true to yourself is something that was important to me but getting annihilated sometimes on social media for being yourself is Mm. really hard Mm -hmm. so you try to find that balance sometimes you do things because you know it'll look better yeah you know um, but you know, I wasn't afraid to be myself. I was still driving a minivan for two years, my first two years on the show. I okay, drove but a minivan. What kind of minivan was it? It was a Toyota. Was it? Yeah. I wasn't fancy. And like I just didn't I mean, nobody knew I had a dollar until I took everyone to my like multi million dollar beach home. And the there Hamptons. we go. <laughs> And then they were like, there was another podcast. I won't name them because I'm on yours. But um, Oh, you can name them. We're all family unless I hate them. The, and then, the well. hosts of Watch What Crappens. Oh, I love. love, love they're I incredible. Love them, they're they incredible. Like, wow, I think she's the first housewife Ronnie. who's actually pretending to be poorer than she, <laughs> than she really is. Because I Obsessed. just had this thing about money where I just didn't love to show money, you know? So, Do you think that comes from being someone, you know, spoiler alert, trigger warning, with money? Do yes. you think you would feel that way if um, you I grew were me, with, for example? Well, I became, I, you know what? I just felt like people who show off their money, there are certain expectations of them to always look and present a certain way. And I didn't want that. Yeah. I also was afraid of people, you know, liking me for money, you know, or mm-hmm. I don't know. And I also didn't want to take away incentive from my children. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like them to, know that we had money because I always wanted them to feel like they needed to work hard if they wanted something. Yeah. You know, so it was a combination. I mean, the nice thing about New Jersey of all the franchises is I feel like when it comes to the actual parenting, it feels incredibly grounded, Mm -hmm. which 
is somewhat of a miracle considering the circumstances that have faced some of these kids. Yes. Have you found your parenting has changed now that hundreds of thousands, or as Bravo would like me to say, millions of people are watching and might have an opinion about it? Um, No, especially now that I am not full-time anymore. My children are not so much on the show. I don't worry about that anymore. But um, I used to worry about what they would see if Mm -hmm. if it would embarrass them. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to talk about um, blowjobs on the show sometimes. <gasps> How da- which as a Jew. Well, I mean, I mean, the whole thing was that I didn't give them, so don't be disappointed. Know? You okay, know? wait, I talked about this after that episode aired, and I heard from Jewish AGs who were like, no, it's the opposite of that. And I said, it oh, absolutely no. is not. Like no. in our Haftorah, it said yes. like, thou shalt not get Deep on thy knees for this endeavor. Like, I, mean, I, I, I won't do it. I don't yes. want to do it. And by the way, I don't the majority of my Jewish friends don't want to do it. Are like, amen. Like, we don't. What is yeah. that about us? I mean, talk about stereotypes but it's like i mean i don't who likes it i don't know anybody who likes it maybe maybe we're the only ones admitting it (laughs) (laughs) that has to be a future tagline something about jobs employment self-employment i don't know i'll workshop it in my mind but like things like that i used to like wonder if like my kids would watch that one day and be so embarrassed but i think i've been pretty good on the show i've always been very devoted to my kids and yes on new jersey say what you want about some of the women but we are all like our children are our lives well i have to tell you, I read your book last night, which I told you before we sat down here in the Clawfist. Have I mentioned we're in person in the Clawfist HQ? And I read it last night sobbing, sobbing, mm-hmm. just like absolutely drenched in sort of pain, but also like kind of broken open understanding. Mm-hmm. And so I want to tell you something that's I listened to your episode uh, recently with Melissa. I am a Gorgita Crunch, just FYI. And um. Sidebar was obsessed with her calling her podcast listeners Melissaners, oh, which I hadn't heard of. Yeah, I was screaming. Very creative. I was literally dying. But I listened to the conversation that you guys had, and you know, in reading the book, it is an incredibly intense book and incredibly powerful. Um, and I wanted to find out a little bit how the editing process for the book took place, and the reason I ask is. When you sign up for reality TV, quite literally, you're you're sort of agreeing to another person having control of how your life is going to be shared, which on a show so based in conflict and LOL, ideally conflict resolution, I think for anyone that can be kind of difficult to agree to and then to further understand. So when it came to editing the book and figuring out what to include and how you wanted to tell your story, what was that process like for you? I was so in control of it because I wrote every word of this book myself. And I know I've said that before, but when I tell you that the that editing that came back from my publisher when mm-hmm. I would send them the chapters, first mm-hmm. of all, I didn't send them chapter by chapter. Oh, you didn't? No. You were like, I, here's it? Because I didn't write in order. I was in control of this. There was no one helping me. So I didn't start at the beginning. Mm. I started, um, I think the first chapter that I wrote was the high school chapter. Great. And so I wanted to send them chunks of like three chapters at a time. Mm -hmm. So um, there wasn't that much editing. I was really in control and I didn't hand over anything until I felt like it was exactly what I wanted. Mm. So I really only included the things that um, I felt should be in the book. Mm -hmm. That being said, I didn't hold anything back. 
You really didn't. I really didn't because I couldn't tell a complete story with holding things back. And so, you know, you talk about your process being in recovery and seeking treatment and finding a way kind of through that, walking alongside it. You talk a lot about your relationships with your family and their kind of reactions, not necessarily to a diagnosis, but just to your body itself. How did you prepare them for reading the book? Like sitting down with your dad, for example, and saying, I don't know if you watched that episode that people gave you a lot of shit about online, but we're going to talk about it. My dad hasn't read the book yet. Has he not? No, and neither has my mom. Now, is that something that you have ordered them not to do? Or they haven't had access to it. So the book is not out yet. I mean, okay. as of recording, the book is out next week. So I do have the book. I mean, I have the book. I So they know that it's a painful book and they know that I just didn't. So at, it's not because I don't want them to at this point. I just haven't gotten them a copy. But yeah. Up until pretty recently. So Evan just read the book a few weeks ago. Wow. Like Jesus two weeks ago. Christ. Because I wanted it to pass the point where I could take anything back. Because I oh know God, I that, that. And I don't write anything insulting about mm-hmm. anyone. I don't. Um, certainly, I don't insult my family in there. But I do tell, you know, there are things that are painful. And I didn't want anyone to have the option of being like, I don't like when you do when you talk about that. Can you take that out? I didn't want that option. So I purposely waited a while. Um, but I'm also nervous. You know, I know that my mother is going to cry. I know that parts of this are going to be really painful for her to read mm-hmm. and things that she thought might have been like happy occasions in my life were not, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I'm a little nervous for that. But, you know, my dad knows that, you know, he looks differently at this stuff than I do. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they'll be too shocked by what I say about them. I mean, I certainly make it clear that they're warm and loving parents. Yeah. And I think it can be difficult sometimes. I I would assume this is coming from a place of absolute assumption, but to be the family member of someone on reality TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That and to, to be the family member of somebody struggling with something. But yeah, I mean... My dad, I remember that scene where my dad showed yeah. the video and we actually only went to his house that day to reorganize his um, his hoarder kitchen. Mm. And um, and all of a sudden he said, Jackie, let's watch the video from, from when you were fat. And Oh my God, he said that without I, any kind of anything. Nothing. And I just remember being like, oh no, dad, don't do this on camera because I knew how it would look, you know, and I mm-hmm. knew his mindset on weight which is like, and I wrote about this in the book, like, mm-hmm. you know, weight is just a thing. Like if you're fat, it sucks. And then you go on a diet and you don't complain because dieting sucks. And then like, if you're thin, great, like you're success, you know? And I know that he thinks about it very unemotionally. Mm-hmm. So um, when he pointed at the screen and said, look how big mommy was, you know, like he thought that it was just a light moment and I just knew how it would come off. But um, yeah, I, I think, I think I'll let them read it this week. Yeah. I'll let you know how it goes. But like with Evan, I said to him, I, I tried to prep him, but every time I said, you know, there's going to be things in there that you don't know. He was like, you'd be shocked how much I know. You don't think I saw things, but I saw them, you know, and he loved it. He loved it. Um, 
And he said there were some things that he did not know, but a lot of them he did. Well, that was one of the moments that, I mean, there were so many moments that were incredibly, incredibly impactful to read. But one of the ones that really stood out for me for many reasons was the conversation that you had with Evan on camera when there was a decision that had been made to talk about your struggle with anorexia. And I think this is certainly, as has been said repeatedly before, this is not a book about the Real Housewives of New Jersey. However, you are on the cast of Real Housewives of New Jersey. This Mm -hmm. is a podcast about the psychology behind a lot of the behaviors that we see on TV. And the cross-section of that and um, hyper-focus of that really is in unpacking the decision to talk about anorexia as being a living, breathing part of being at that point, Mm -hmm. that when you started Jersey, there had been a conversation on camera of, I'm in recovery for this thing. I had this thing. I'm going to share this with you, but I'm on the other side of it. And that coming from a place of, I don't think denial is the right word. Oh, no, that was all based in fear and trying to get ahead of anybody noticing anything. Right. Yeah. So there had been some incredibly upsetting um, decisions that had been made on camera and off after Jen bringing up um, your relationship with food as sort of like Mm -hmm. an aha moment. Um, And also that conversation with Evan, which was not planned in terms of what is it that we're going to discuss, but just really there's going to be a conversation that takes place. Yeah. And I think that moment, because, you know, anorexia is very much about control. Mm -hmm. And so um, everything in my life that had to do with food, conversations around food, anything that I ate was controlled very rigidly. Mm -hmm. So I went into that scene knowing what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted to reveal, and how I wanted it to end. And then it took a left turn. When he told me that the kids notice my eating disorder, it rocked me. And I, I tried to keep my cool on camera, but I... I had convinced myself, listen, I mean, eating disorders mess with your head so badly. And I convinced myself that this was a victimless situation, that I was the only person being hurt by this. And in that moment, I think I started to realize that I wasn't going to be able to control this the way that I wanted to, Mm -hmm. and that other people were being hurt by this. And I went home from that scene and I just remember being like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. How do I do this? You know? And how did it kind of affect you in terms of finding that out while filming? That it was you were finding this out as everyone else was and would. Yeah. Um, I think filming the show kept me accountable and it really got me started. And I feel like in those first few weeks, I might have given up had I not had cameras on me. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was no way that I was going to tell the world I had an eating disorder and then be like, wait, forget it. I'm not going to recover because I knew there were people watching who were looking for some hope, you know, um, and there were parents watching whose kids struggle. I'm not going to show them that, like, it's not possible. You know, yeah. I knew that I would do that. So um I kept going. The cameras helped me in that sense, but it also did not give a complete story because, um, you know, like I said in the book, reality shows and Bravo could not have been better during during this process. Mm -hmm. They made sure that I was in great hands. They made sure I was following through. So they were fantastic. But, um, you know, on reality TV, when you have a storyline, they like it to have a beginning, middle and end. 
And so I think a lot of people looked at my story and were like, in the beginning, I was very, you know, sick with an eating disorder. In the middle, I decided to get help. I opened up to my husband and in the end I ate ice cream and then it was over. And that for me was just the beginning. I mean, that ice cream scene, for me, I went home and just cried because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to eat something and not count it. I went home and said, am I supposed to pretend that I just didn't eat ice cream? Like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And I, I felt bad for my kids too, because I think they were really confused. And they were like, I don't understand why mommy hasn't been eating ice cream if she likes the ice cream. And like, are we going to go for ice cream tomorrow? And like, they were little and they were confused and I was confused and I just didn't, I didn't know how to do it, you know? And I think the idea of beginning, middle and end is so important when you talk about the experience of having an eating disorder and trying to like process all of it. And that at the end of the day, recovery, like with any form of addiction is a process, you know, it's not a clear line, but because it's not a clear line that can make it uncomfortable for other people to try to understand. There's a Mm -hmm. lack of understanding, I think, about eating disorders that I have experienced in the world of being a podcaster and everything else. When it comes to that kind of conversation, I've been kind of like overwhelmed with the lack of education about it. And Mm -hmm. as a part of that, the lack of empathy. So when you're on a show like Real Housewives, I mean, I've had this conversation with Crystal many times on Beverly Hills and in watching the ways that Jules was treated on New York. Mm. I mean, not just by members of the cast, but members of the audience, the way that people weaponize their own ignorance as as a way to sort of like stake their claim or for power Mm. or for punishment is it's overwhelming because I don't know that while other addictions are also terribly treated by members of the audience and members of the Bravo community, there does seem to be a base level lack of understanding about what an eating disorder is that I find But also most eating disorders on reality shows are just um, given a surface level treatment. So like crystals, we talked about it and then it became um, like something that she had a conversation about at a party, but it wasn't really delved into. And Jules, I think, was really brushed over. It was like, wow, Jules really has problems. And then it was kind of like, you know, just turned into a conversation about like how mean Bethany was to her at that dinner, you know? Right. Mm. When Jules um, cooked her fork into oh my her God. food, Oy. I watched that through very different eyes than most people watched it. Yeah. I watched that and I said, I know exactly what you're doing because at that time I was very anorexic myself. And I I think she was on the season before I joined New Jersey. So mm. I was still civilian, you know, with severe case of anorexia watching. And I said, she did that because she didn't want to eat it. And that's her excuse not to eat it, that it was baked with a fork in it. She's not going to eat something that was baked with a fork in it. So you would do anything you could to avoid eating food. Um, and I... Um, I don't remember where I was going with, oh, so what I was hoping to do with this book was really, and even with my season of recovery is just really just give some more insight and understanding into like how powerful and horrible and all encompassing it is, you know, and I think the book really goes there, Mm. you know. It definitely does. Yeah. And how do you deal with sort of feedback that you've gotten or the the ways that it's people have used the experience of living with an eating disorder as a, an attempt to insult? Um, 
people do insult, but I have found that um, I got so much. Well, the season I chose to recover, I just got an overwhelming Incredible. amount of love. Great. Yes, I do get the assholes who tell me to just eat a burger. And you have to just know that they're trolls. Right. That doesn't matter to me anymore. Um, but um, yeah, I really have gotten a lot of support and love. And I'm really hope the feed the early feedback on the book has been phenomenal. Yeah. And I really hope that that people who have someone in their life who struggles can really like understand more what they're going through. Mm -hmm. But also I just want to make it clear this is not just a book about like having an eating disorder. And it's on not only relatable if you have an eating disorder or someone you love does. This is really a book about spiraling into something toxic. Mm -hmm. And losing your way and just being lost in this like really toxic world and then finding your way back to life. Well, the thing that I've always found that I have been connected to for the vast majority of my life is that trauma is like the connecting thread. It's the curiosity that I probably have the most about people is like, what is the thing that changed your life? And that's usually unfortunately based in some sort of traumatic experience. And so I would say certainly that while it is a story of your life and how trauma has impacted your life and recovery and just kind of going through the experiences, that certainly while it's also beneficial for people who have had eating disorders, experience eating disorders, and do not, that it's that connective thread of trauma. That that's yeah. the kind of grounding effect mm -hmm. of it. And how it stays it. with you, even, yeah. even trauma from 30 years ago. Especially trauma from and 30 listen, years ago. Everybody has different trauma in their life. And like for somebody who was like, let's say, who had like lived in poverty or, or was in a refugee camp, like my trauma is not going to seem traumatic to them, maybe. You know, but I mean, for me, this was, this shaped my life. What happened to me in my early years and the way I was looked at shaped my life and shaped my mentality around what what would make me important in this world and what would make people love me in this world. And I carried that with me for a really long time. And when I tell you that even the first year of recovery, I was really, I was, I was eating, mm -hmm. but I was not okay. Mm -hmm. Um and I didn't really turn that corner until like it's only been a little over a year. I'd say late summer of last year. Yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back, 
and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. (laughs) Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells un believable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDYSGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDYSGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media and then IRL. 
And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Row, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash andysgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andysgirls. Sign up today. It also gets into the idea of like connection versus comparison, because there's a way that we can connect with each other by being vulnerable and sharing our stories. The flip side of that is it's almost a human reaction is to think about what's impacted our lives, but sometimes just the instinct to compare it of like, how does my worse? Right. Which is so deeply. I I mean, Mm. it is certainly a reality something that I've experienced where people are like oh yeah you have the blah 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 so I have the yeah and I'm like no that's not we're not (laughs) these are not the two but it but it is also to say that just to understand that we're all kind of going through something is can be incredibly grounding hopefully Mm -hmm. um also because you talk about the impact of isolation in your life and the Mm -hmm. fact that in any kind of addiction um mental health circumstance, whatever it is, it's the the feeling that it's so overwhelming. It's so a part of you. Oh, it's- yeah. I mean, I didn't think there was any way out of this. In the early years, I remember, so the scene that I always flash back to, because in, in my life, this was one of the most, the lowest moments I've ever had. And mind you, nothing changed after this for another 14 years. But the the scene in Mexico when I'm in um, eating tuna in the bathroom. Oh, man. That that to me, I remember like it was yesterday sitting there and saying, it can't get worse than this. But also, I can't tell anyone about this because it's so god awful and humiliating and no one could understand this. And what's going through my head that's forcing me to eat my dinner on a toilet right now, mm-hmm. that I'm I'm just stuck here alone. Like, I can't do anything about it and no one could help me because I can't ask anyone to help me. So I felt like that for a very, very long time. And I was embarrassed and no one talked about eating disorders. And I felt like no one could help me and I couldn't tell anyone. So I felt so, I was surrounded by people who loved me and I still felt so alone. Yeah. And guys, I'm crying because it was such a, it was such a beautiful book and I delayed reading it because I knew it was going to be impactful. So I literally read it last night and I just sat down and was like, I cry thinking about it. Actually, it's funny because I have certain songs that go with certain chapters in my head. I have like a playlist for it. And when I listen to the songs and I remember the scenes, I just, I don't know. I was so bad to myself. I really treated myself so horribly. And 
I, on one hand, feel like I need to go back and redo everything. And on the other hand, I feel like, well, of course, all of this was supposed to happen because one day you were supposed to write a really beautiful book about it and help people who feel like they have no voice and who feel like they're alone in all of this. But how do you translate that shame into grace? Because, oh, well, first of all, therapy. So Mm. the therapy that I did to get past this eating disorder was intense. And um, what I learned was at first I had to learn how to like actually eat food again. And then I split from therapist to dietitian. I had two people. So Mm. um, the dietitian took over that role. But the therapy really got to work on um, why I would do this to myself and why I would um, bring myself near death, which you will see in there. Mm. Um, the things I did to my body and destroyed my my health, why I would do that to myself. And in the course of getting healthy, mm-hmm. I learned to let go of so much past trauma yeah. and accept it and know that it happened and sit with it and then really just let it go as part of my past and just a learning experience. And in the course of doing that, my life now, I feel so strong and I feel like there's no more shame around it. It happened. I accept it. And like I did these horrible things and, and now I can help people learn from my mistakes. Yeah. And you, I mean, you did things that had certainly an effect on your body right? oh, yeah. and on your and my life, health. But, yeah, for sure. But you were also not doing it necessarily. When you when it comes to like the phrase horrible thing, it's an important kind of conversation to have, but a, a little bit of a deep one, because obviously there were enormous negative consequences for your mind, body, soul, but also potentially it was coming from a place on the other side of it of like, I didn't know how to care for myself. You know, like, yeah, that was your version of trying to find control and trying to provide care. Yeah. Well, also, I was trying to provide care for my mental health, which in my distorted mind said, when you're heavier, Jackie, people don't like you. Mm -hmm. And people are never going to think of you as anything but the heavy girl. Um, So in my mind, this was taking care of myself by making sure that I was thin and never had to deal with that. And it's an important conversation to have because I read your piece that just came out uh, where you wrote about the rise of Ozempic for Newsweek and just the impact of that um, in conversation about disordered eating, but just in conversation about a person's body. And I have to tell you, I don't know quite how to unpack it because I for a person to make whatever choice they want to make, I'm not um, uh, ridiculing or penalizing someone mm-hmm. for wanting to lose weight, which is also something that you've made very clear as yes. well. It's not about that. But the idea and the standard of thin and of skinniness as the ideal, but also as a game of clue, has been very disconcerting for me to watch, which is people going on press and the first thing they're, you know, that is discussed is their weight. Yep. And their body. Which I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I've seen people talk about it online where there are just posts of, you know, this person is on Ozempic or this person looks different. And for people are now leveraging the, the idea of trying to unpack 
the changes in a person's weight without recognizing that it, it is that very conversation that leads to an environment of disordered eating and mm-hmm. disordered expectations. Yeah. I mean, like, how can you expect people not to want to be thin when thin is so idolized, right? And I mean, when people gain weight, social media just attacks them, you know? So um, I don't I don't blame anybody for wanting to be thin. I do think that Ozempic, if you notice, I do not judge anyone's decision to be on mm-hmm. it. I understand it. But I do think that drug is is induces an eating disorder in people who take it. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think it's sad. I mean, I'm so grateful that myself, I have moved past um, this need to be a certain weight. I haven't stepped on a scale since May of 2021. So I don't know what I weigh, which is very helpful to me because if I do go somewhere and, um, you know, eat more than I usually would have, Mm -hmm. or um, I feel like maybe I put on a pound, I won't know for sure. You know, I'm trying to find balance now. I should note that I am not fully recovered. I consider myself probably like 80% there. Um, But I am, I've never had a relationship with food like I have now. And it's sad to me to watch other people, especially people who I always looked at as people who really knew how to enjoy food and not beat themselves up afterwards Mm. as people who now are really thin and not eating. You know, it's, it's weird. It's a weird place to be in recovery when you're recovering as the world is getting thinner. It's weird. I, yeah. And the thing with Ozempic specifically and similar kinds of drugs, I have to say, I, I really truly am not educated entirely on the topic. Um, and obviously, it's starting and and existing um, as a, a life saving medication for people who oh, ex- yeah. live with diabetes. Yeah. completely mm-hmm. unrelated to the idea of using it as a weight loss drug. That use as a weight loss drug can also be life saving for people. There Absolutely. are people who- if you are if you are struggling with binge eating or you're very overweight and you need this drug, I think it is amazing because right. also like struggling with weight can also have very damaged, like damaged totally. your body in a lot of ways. I'm not so much talking about that. Right. I'm so much talking about the average size people who want to lose 10 pounds. Yeah. And it's sort of like as a training tool, what is it that we are training ourselves not to want to recognize? Because hunger is the connective thread for people with binge eating, for people with who experience bulimia, for people who experience mm-hmm anorexia. It's about not, it's about recognizing hunger as something else, but a physical imperative. Yeah. And that is the thing that is being distorted to an extent that makes me very nervous. And I think the reason why I have such strong opinions on it is because for my entire life, I thought of hunger as the enemy. Mm -hmm. And it was only in the past two years that I learned that hunger is not my enemy. Hunger is beautiful. It means your body needs something. And the way that you feed your body can be filled with like joy and can be filled with moderation. And like, you know, like you can really figure out how to eat for enjoyment and celebration and also like live in a body that you like, you know. And um, for me to see droves of people just suddenly feeling like hunger is the enemy is just... It's it just, you know, goes against everything that I've been training myself to learn over the past two years. I think that's why I'm having such a visceral reaction to it. Well, 100 percent, absolutely same. And for me, it's less about 
the losing the weight and more how weight is being discussed. Like for me being a con- allegedly a content creator on social, but all- certainly a podcaster. <laughs> I mean, you know, but it's it's seeing people comment and their focus is quite literally on a person's weight. And the thing that I've understood and, and experienced in recovery is like the weight of it all is that's not the thing you should ever really mention. And it's something that I used to train as a a reward for myself for someone mentioning weight loss or whatever else. And I made it into a joke where I was like, um, you know, just just tell me I'm thin and and we're good. Like that that was the thing that was the reward that I needed, regardless of how I felt about myself or how other people saw me. And the, the focus that people have on talking about weight is very disconcerting. It has less to do with Ozempic and what Ozempic represents, which is leading with the headline weight, which I don't know has ever in the history of the universe ever been productive or helpful or healthy. Yeah. And it makes you wonder how it's all going to end, huh? Yeah. And also how it's going to continue. And it's something that I noticed, you know, Andy, when a caller on Radio Andy sort of a, a little while ago, had a conversation with him about the fact that like, can you please stop mentioning a person's weight when you when they come on watch what happens and certainly he means it as a compliment and he took it he took the note and was like you know what you're totally right and for like a week and a half he really did his level best not to do it but then Emily Simpson comes on and he tells her oh my god you're wasting away and it's not an Andy Cohen problem it is a universal problem mm-hmm. which is the idea of attempting to reward someone by telling them they look pretty, by focusing on their weight instead of you're a superstar, you know, you you are doing an incredible job, like you look beautiful. It's the insertion of LB into yeah. the idea of prettiness, which leads into this whole other dynamic that furthers an ideology a lot of us are trying to break. I agree, but I also feel like you take people who put their lives on television and then you suddenly walk into a room looking drastically different. It's almost, you know, I mean, it's the elephant in the room. How do you not ask? You know, not in general life, but with with people whose job is to talk about their real life, right? I feel like... um, you know, maybe it's because of, you know, if Emily had lost weight with and Ozempic wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. I think maybe it wouldn't have been discussed so much. But, you know, Andy seems to mm-hmm. be pretty um, adamant about the Ozempic conversation, too. He's, he he likes to talk about it, which um, I think it bothers him, too. But I don't know. There's a lot of housewives on it, you know. Well, that's also the thing of like when someone's on it and then it feels like a competition and then weight loss becomes a competition. Mm -hmm. That is really disconcerting. And maybe a person in a cast decides I'm not going to do this. This isn't for me. But if everybody around you is doing it and then you feel like the the uh, physical ideal, the physical representation in your cast is changing except for you. Yeah. Well, well, I won't say names, but somebody on my cast when I watch what happens live and said, of course I'm on it. I'm not going to be the only person to show up at reunion, you know, heavy. Right. You know, or I'm not going to be the fattest person at reunion. I mean, that's, that is what's happening. You know, people see everyone else going on it. And I feel like maybe one by one, everyone's kind of going on it. But um, I think I'm so fortunate to be in a place now where I can look at that and think, wow, how unfortunate for you that you're not going to be enjoying food for a long time. You know, I feel really... I'm enjoying, I'm eating again like I'm a 
child. Like I'm discovering new foods. Mm. And it's it's funny because I for 20 years I didn't eat anything for, but like the same foods over and over again and really bland foods at that. They I don't even some of them you can't even call food. Got it. Really. Yeah. Um but I'm like discovering food again and it's it's so great and I, I almost feel sad, you know, for people who have suddenly just shut off their hunger, but you know, I Overall, I just feel really fortunate to be where I am now. And I know a lot of bad things happen to get me here, but Mm -hmm. they're all, you know, meant to be, I guess. I also have to say representation matters. And for those of us who live in New York City, Tasty Delight. Oh, boy. Which has a big part of your book. I didn't know. I actually, not to be a fucking idiot, but I didn't know that air was like... Yes, that's the how they that, get it so low. I really, I'm that's not why you have science. the worst gas <laughs> after. I really yeah. didn't. It was just that thing. It was. I mean, it's uh, oh, they pump God. it full of air. So tasty delight, which was delicious, by the way. But the reason why it's 10 calories and regular ice cream is allegedly. 50 is but allegedly, right. <laughs> which I also that it's was a heartbreaker when I read that part. Yeah. Pa- um, pumps air had no idea it. yeah i just so thought that's it was why you have such God, gastrointestinal God distress after it oh but God. if you know it's up to each shop how much air to pump in so if, if their machine does not pump in enough air you're getting like regular ice cream out of that thing and new york times did a whole thing on it um a long time ago but they had it lab tested and it was not what people were thinking. Oh my God. So. You know what? I probably read that and blocked that out yeah. of my mind because I was like, this is going to be a little choose your own adventure. But when I tell you that any food that was like funky, low calorie like that, I would eat. It's like the Alestra. You're yeah. too young to remember this. No, stuff, I, but- I am uh, spiritually mid 20s plus, but I do remember the Alestra generation. Oh, the Alestra of it all. And even like Dexa trim, like anything. I would just try everything. And it is also to say when when having these conversations and P.S. guys, I'm going to link in the show notes um, to an organization, the National Eating Disorders Association, for more information. Um, but it is also to say that in these conversations, anything can be dis- distorted if you try hard enough. And the idea of talking about the experience of skinny or thin as as the goal, but also the environment isn't something that was created by a person who experiences an eating disorder or disordered eating. It's literally society itself. So when we talk about thin as the goal and the ideal, that's not a perspective or an opinion that a person has created, certainly not intending in any way to um, betray the beauty of people of all sizes. It's to say that this is the system that was created that we are a part of. And it's there's kind of a discounting of it in that way of like, okay, but we're, we're, you're talking about skinny or thin as the goal. What does that say to me myself if I don't identify as skinny or thin? And it's right. just, just to sort of distort that or define it in a way that is understood. It's not to say that that is right. It's to say that this is the experience that not everyone, but many people have and feel to varying degrees and levels. I mean, there is a spectrum of disordered eating as there is a spectrum of eating disorders. The connective thread is, to me, seeking care or comfort or control in ways that are... um, LOL, like unhelpful, shall we say, Mm -hmm. except in that moment when you're in the middle of it, it is helpful. Mm -hmm. It's serving a purpose. But the hope is that in recovery and therapy and education and empathy and connection and trying to break down the isolation that keeps you in it, that there's a way to sort of understand and give a little bit of grace of like, okay, when I was in this moment or in this thing, 
this is what I depended on Mm -hmm. to make me feel okay. And now I'm making other choices. I don't need to penalize myself for choices that I made yesterday, today, or tomorrow. It's just to better understand, which is when you're talking about the Renfrew Center, um, which I covered a little bit in a piece I wrote about uh, Crystal's journey, having a, a journey and the discussion of her eating disorder on Beverly Hills for the Daily Beast a year or so ago. It's really getting into that, like the treatment of it and the re-understanding. And, and I think the the focus on the level of grace or the idea of giving grace to ourselves, oh, I think, can yourself. be incredibly helpful. Yeah, yeah I mean, I was so bad to myself, like in terms of how hard I was. I was the most self-critical person and it it spilled over into everything. Like mm-hmm. I just never felt good. I never felt like anything was enough, you know, like, and I think when the show called, I was yeah. just so desperate to keep moving forward and for more and more because I thought being thin would make me feel like everything was okay mm-hmm. and like I had succeeded, but it wasn't enough because of course it's not enough. That's not the solution yeah um so i just kept looking for more and more and then i love the show but i didn't feel like i had achieved everything by being on the show either you know i just you never find peace when you're you have so much inner turmoil well i have to tell you the book is incredible i highly highly recommend it do you have a favorite independent bookstore or bookseller that you love, um, um, I don't. I out? love independent bookstores, but it. I will just say, I mean, when is this airing? Uh, later this week. Um, I will say that I am doing a book tour at several independent bookstores. So if you want to go hit those, I know I'm starting at Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Great. I'm going to RJ Julia in Connecticut. I'm going to Headhouse Books in um, Philadelphia. So if you look on my Instagram, I always have my book tour posted. Any of those indies. I love an indie bookstore. Love. And I have to say, before we let you go and cut you loose to continue your tour, what the fuck is happening on New Jersey? I'm hearing the rumors. Oh, honey, what's not happening? Well, first off, there's all this fucking shit that your book is actually at the center of some conflict. Yeah, maybe. With you and, God forbid, March. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? I can't say anything except wait for it. Okay, right? can you blink to me in Morse code? This is an uh, audio podcast. People won't know. I will say this. Yeah. I will say that the process of recovering from an eating disorder Um, I went through a lot of therapy that taught me how to let go of trauma Mm. and to learn from it and how beautiful it is to let go of it. And in the course of letting go of past trauma, I was able to move past a lot of um, thoughts of, uh, of bad thoughts that I had about certain things and open myself up to new friendships. And that's all oh, I will say. I'm not into that at all. I love your journey into <laughs> health and recovery. And I fully support you in every possible just way. Wait, just wait for it. It's very interesting the way um, the book has translated into the season. That's all I'll say. It's a fantastic season. It okay. really is. Yeah, we're halfway through. It's great. Who's the last housewife you texted with? You're not going to want to know. Teresa. Actually, no, it was Melissa. Melissa Thank came God. later. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's just going to be I, this is what's so interesting is for people who are tree huggers and those um, 
I don't. What, what I do will we, show you. I'll prove it to you. I, I would love it. What, <laughs> what, do, what do we call Jackie stands? Oh, jack-o'-lanterns. Oh, jack-o'-lanterns. Yeah. So for people who are tree huggers and jack-o'-lanterns, I think there is an equal amount of just like not equal. There's nothing ever equal, but like just a little bit of a pause. Just like I just, I just, I just, I just want. I'm not confirming or denying anything. I'm, I'm just gonna say wait for it, and it will all really make sense to you. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, do we think Teresa's gonna read the book? Does Teresa read? Know. Yeah, probably. Probably. No. Yeah. She listen to the audio. We would love that journey for right? her. I actually think it could be really helpful for her because there is some stuff in there about her, yeah. about Louie. Yeah. Trigger warning. But yeah. like, but nothing like, be, I no, don't no, no, personally no, no. insult anybody. Definitely but I do not. tell a, a full story. You do. Sure. And there's some aspects of production that I think that certainly um, Bravo holics will appreciate. And yeah. sometimes that's also the way to kind of like, get them in and then spoiler alert you're going to hear an experience a lot more that is going to be incredibly I think beneficial and educational and emotional for people to experience so if you want to read it for whatever fucking reason gets you to read it then there's a lot of bravo in there there's a lot of I mean it's not a typical housewife book but there's definitely a lot of uh show stuff can I ask you one quick question way to end on an incredible note but um there was something that you mentioned as far as like production in that Cast members kind of give riders for the things that you want for a cast trip. Not so much a rider, but they do ask you like what Preferences. you want in the fridge. You know, yeah. yeah. And I was a little, I was curious about the ways that your preferences as people seem to focus on your eating. Yes. Your preferences seem to get. Indicate ign- that I had a problem. Well, not that you had a problem, but that, for example, you would request yogurt and fruit. Yeah. And while this, it, the quote unquote in reality TV terms storyline was starting to focus on questions about eating, that for some reason production would forget to stock the fridge with the things oh. that you requested. That oh. I was curious I about. I really thought about that. I don't. Oh, wow. I mean, I read it in your book. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, my head is spinning right now. So yeah. people are going to have to read that to see what we're talking about. But I never put those two and two together because we took a later trip to Jamaica and everything was there. So I'm not I'm not sure. Okay. But I don't know. Something to – I just – when yeah. it came to the quote-unquote storyline of it all, I was curious as to – That's very interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. and. In the ways that being on reality TV in many ways has helped you in recovery, there's also another side of it, too, a little bit of a cannier side. And I just was curious as to that. That's a very interesting question. Yeah. It is a little bit of a... I will say I never looked at production as trying to sabotage sabotage anything, but I certainly think they know how to make a good show. Well, it's less so. about sabotage and even and more about focus. Yeah. And any yeah, kind, anytime I mean, you kind of focus it's entirely on... entirely possible that there was no food in the fridge for me. For a reason. Yeah. To see what I would do. It's possible. I never even thought of that. It yeah. makes me a little... Wow. Gave me a little spiritual agita, I got to tell yeah. you, Jackie Goldschneider. Let's see. Well, you know what? Whatever happened in the course of making this all happen, yeah. it was meant to be. And I don't... I don't regret anything and I don't wish that anything was different because it all led me here and all those hard moments where I feel like all my good times were tainted Mm. and all my life celebrations were tainted um I think that they had a larger purpose I think that it's commendable what you have 
talked about and opened up about and written about. I, again, can't more highly encourage the book, which I will link in the show notes for this episode. And just to end on something that I just fucking killed me. I mean, I have a couple uh, quotes here. Um, there was a quote that started one of the chapters, you don't drown by falling into water, you drown by staying there. Mm. That I was like, oh. I know. <laughs> like, guys, if you could see me, I'm like falling yeah. fucking apart. But the other part that I thought was really important, I think something that Melissa also brought up um, was you saying my secrets were dying in the light. Mm. And I just want to thank you for opening the light and for being the light and for sharing. And I, again, I'm schmaltzy. I really can't even blame my it fucking is an period. It's just, it's an emotional, it's an emotional book. book. Yeah. It's connective, I think, to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And I'm just really thankful to you for creating that connection oh, for a lot of us. Thank you. I'm thankful to you for making me feel like this is so important. I it is. appreciate when somebody understands how important this is well listen i've wanted you to come on andy's girls for about 150 years Aww. and so i'm so thankful that you're here today i and made the clothes. i mean listen we love we're touching they're manolos yeah, I, I like to reach behind me for tool and moments a of lot stress of i'm a fucking real housewife and you have 10 times more dresses than me What's yeah going on? you have money in your account <laughs> <laughs> one of us is ahead listen jackie goldschneider tell the people once again where to follow you on social where they can i mean quite literally follow you on social but also yeah. get info on the book tour where to buy the book everything more about the is book. on instagram so at jackie goldschneider i always have i have everything posted in my feed but i'm constantly doing stories um look on my look on my feed i have my all my book tour dates but you can go anywhere to buy this book um barnes and noble amazon just put in the way to beautiful and it'll pop right up and uh, pre-orders are important and appreciated. So. And speaking of things that are important and appreciated, join the Andy's Girls Patreon, number one way to support yes. the podcast. You get exclusive bonus episodes and so much more at patreon.com slash Andy's Girls. Putting up a satchel spectacular this week, which with your thoughts and feelings, questions, and concerns, uh, named in honor of Her Holiness Kelly Clorn Ben Simone. So listen to those apps on patreon.com slash Andy's Girls. Slide into my Instagram DMs at Dame Galley. Let me know your thoughts and feels on this conversation. Certainly the others that we are having about a couple other franchises that are existing. What are you watching? Right now, I'm yeah. watching Roni. I'm about two episodes behind, but I'm loving it. Oh, my God. I love it. I'm watching Salt Lake. Great. Um, And I have not watched OC this season yet. I've just been so... Well, I mean, it's been a wild fall so far. I mean, like, the kids going back to school and then the bar mitzvah and the book and the everything. I haven't had time. Well, speaking I'm of fall, to. I mean, poor sweet Shan. Hashtag we, we oh, pray for Shan. Man. We stand for Shan. What's but going on? I don't know. It makes... If uh, they're... As a lawyer, as someone who know, understands the world good. of comms... It's not good. Can we... Is there advice that you would give her? She's a big fan of giving it to others in the cast. Um, maybe maybe not advice to her but advice to everybody else like don't drink and drive don't, yeah. like take a fucking uber you know i mean take an uber yeah right like take, take an uber. uber there's an uber pool for those of yeah, us who don't want to do the whole thing by ourselves we want to have a new beginning with just a friend. don't i don't even i won't even have like a big glass of wine and drive like i'm so careful i'm scarred by gina you know, Gina had that one drink at mom's night out <laughs> and then she got her DUI and like it's life changing. So just yeah. don't even take a chance. I'm know? sure that's information and advice that Gina is texting to Shan I, as we I, speak. I don't know. Do they get along these days? They don't. No, yeah, they don't so even a little bit. I don't bit. think that she's having a little kiki of her own. And ha you know, I don't know if someone dances from someone else's pain. But anyway, don't drink and drive people. <laughs> 
Um, can you come back on Andy's Girls and we'll talk about New New York? I would I love it. Would love I would to love do that it because I'm loving it. Yeah, I am loving it, and I would love your thoughts. And you're allegedly from Staten Island. And I am from not, Staten Island. We will not make a joke that we could. <laughs> <laughs> you snorted. Staten Island makes you snort. It does that to people. I'm so sorry. It's like it's a, you can't be a resident of Manhattan without fucking with Staten Island. It's just one of those things. So shout out. Anyone who's able to get internet access on Staten Island is (laughs) Googling or listening to this. I'm just kidding. I love, I really, truly, I love Staten Island. I love this episode. Um, I guess trigger warning for anybody in an outside borough. Um, Jackie Goldschneider, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on AG. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. And we will chat with you soon. Bye-bye. 